I can't afford to come to the store every day and have a $1,700 window broken. As vandals in Vancouver shatter windows and store owners' sense of security, the solutions being considered. This is going to go to the farmers. It's going to go to the people who lost their homes. Come hell or high water, how artists are coming together to raise funds for victims of BC's devastating fires and floods. Plus, you leave for work one way and you come home, there's a roundabout all of a sudden. The new roundabout in Langley throwing drivers for a loop and how it sparked a viral TikTok video. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Even with COVID-19 restrictions lifting and cruise ships set to return, Vancouver is still dealing with significant public safety concerns. Gastown is just one of the neighborhoods hit hard by crime, including glass breaks, which police say are up 40% across the city. Tonight, one store owner says she had three windows broken in two decades. That is until recently. Kristen Robinson has our top story. Yeah, we need to keep the city safe. Public safety, top of mind for Jackie Halliburton's customers. It's extremely, extremely disappointing and sad that this is what has happened to my city. I'm really fed up. After 21 so, years in Gastown, the clothing store owner staying open amid boarded up windows. Her glass broken seven times in less than three months. All five of her windows still shattered. It's like really hard to go to sleep at night and think that in the morning we might have another uh, break-in. Even with insurance, she estimates the damage will cost her 15 grand, including the new locks, security system, and gates she's adding to fortify her shop. I can't afford to come to the store every day and have a $1,700 window broken. In the downtown core, Vancouver police say commercial break-and-enters with broken glass increased 24% between 2019 and 2021. Shopkeepers are replacing glass at a very high rate, and sometimes they're getting the windows replaced, only to have them broken again. When people know they can get away with things, with lawlessness... They're going to do it. 100 East is the next block. Dedicated teams of officers in the downtown east side also walk the beat in Gastown. But the VPD says when serious incidents happen, they tend to sap up all available police resources, sometimes limiting the ability to maintain that visible presence to deter crime. If you have it lit up well, you're going to get less crime. The downtown Vancouver BIA agrees better lighting would make people feel safer. We like the road, but we talk about wanting to decrease car travel and increase walkability and bikeability, but we don't light the sidewalks and the storefronts sufficiently. If you were in any other city in the world and you had a historical area that looked like this, it just doesn't happen. This should be the jewel of Vancouver, and there should be more care put into it and more attention put on it. Kristen Robinson, Global News. RCMP are hoping the public can help identify a suspect who went to new heights to break into a Surrey business last month. The suspect was captured in the early morning hours of February 2nd. Police say they entered a closed grocery store in the 15900 block of Fraser Highway from the rooftop, cutting a hole through the ceiling and using an extendable ladder to climb down. Once inside, the suspect stole a substantial amount of cash from an ATM. At the time, they were wearing gray coveralls with a black hoodie underneath, black boots, and had a black backpack. 
One of the Lower Mainland's longest-running women's associations is calling for the immediate dismissal of a high-profile radio host at Red FM who's been under fire for controversial comments made on air about young South Asian women abandoning their newborn babies at Surrey Memorial Hospital and calling on health care workers to help identify the mothers. It's not, oh, we've just suddenly heard reports that... Um, Young children are being abandoned, infants are being abandoned. It was like, who are these women? And it's the way it was said. It was so insensitive and there was absolutely no understanding of the circumstances and where these women may have come from, who they might have been or anything. In a statement, the India Mahila Association describes the host comments as, quote, degrading and demeaning and attempting to scandalize the very serious issue of women's reproductive rights, as well as ridiculing women for placing their children up for adoption while demanding his immediate dismissal and an apology for his remarks from Red FM management. In the segment, Thind assured any nurses or delivery doctors who come forward their identity would be kept confidential if they verify who the mothers are who are giving up their children. Local artist Jag Nagra heard the segment and posted her outrage on social media. Fraser Health told Global News it's not aware of any reports of this happening at Surrey Memorial Hospital. And despite multiple requests, Red FM did not release the audio of the segment in question. It was leaked by an anonymous source and posted online. The India Mahila Association says it's just more evidence of the host's long history of making sexist and misogynistic comments on air without apology. Speaking to the public and making such derogatory remarks, inflammatory, unacceptable. Mr. Thind, you know, you need to be replaced. You really do. And I think it's about time Red FM stepped up to the plate and they did the right thing. Now, in a statement from Red FM, which artist Jag Negra suggests is a copy of her original criticisms of the radio segment, the station says the issue raises important questions like, are the young mothers rape victims? Are they international students who have been exploited? Are they young mothers who lack family support? Harjinder Thind has refused requests for an interview with Global News. Three people were killed after a crash on Highway 37 near Kitimat last week. Police say just after 9 o'clock Friday morning, a passenger vehicle heading to Terrace crossed the center line on the highway between Onion Lake ski trails and Onion Lake and hit an oncoming commercial vehicle. Three people in the passenger vehicle, including two youths, died at the scene. No names have been released and the cause of the collision remains under investigation. An Alberta mother of two has been identified as the woman killed by a falling boulder on Highway 1 earlier this month. The tragedy occurred four kilometers east of Golden in the Kicking Horse Canyon. Laura Tennant died in hospital in Kelowna last Saturday, two days shy of her second wedding anniversary. A day earlier, the 38-year-old Cochrane resident was driving with her family when a boulder hit their Jeep. An online obituary describes Tennant as an avid outdoors woman who was respected and loved by everyone she knew. Tennant leaves behind a wife and their two children. Her family is thanking the many Good Samaritans, first responders, doctors, nurses and volunteers who came to their aid. We are a week away from the start of spring, but many are still struggling to come to terms with last summer's raging wildfires and last fall's devastating atmospheric river. And that has many performers and volunteers lending their time and talent for a major concert fundraiser today. Kamil Kermali reports. Oh my 
After wildfires burned down homes and entire neighborhoods this past summer, and November's floods ravaged parts of the province, instead of singing the blues, these BC bands and local artists are trying to stay upbeat. Throwing together a day-long concert Sunday. I remember. That's already bringing in waves of support. And I first learned how to play guitar. And floods of cash. But it's also to raise funds for residents, business, and neighboring communities. The 12-hour concert series is called Hell or High Water, running from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., featuring over 100 musical performances. Part of it is virtual. Artists sending in pre-recorded performances played out of this Surrey studio and then aired on their website throughout the day. While they strum, sing, and stomp their feet, viewers can click to donate. Our core mission is to raise money to help the affected families that are still displaced and affected by the BC forest fires and floods. Greg Gerard is one of the organizers. He was one of the many Merritt residents who had to be evacuated from their homes. We were evacuated into, we decided to go to Kelowna and we were in a hotel for three weeks. The virtual concert during the day creating a buzz for the real life one Sunday evening. A feeling of electricity in the air here at this theatre in Mission, BC as bands practice before the big show. They were absolutely glad to do it for nothing even though their wages have been cut 100%. About 600 people expected to attend Sunday night's concert already raising over a million dollars by mid-afternoon. So this is going to go to the farmers, it's going to go to the people who lost their homes, to the people who are still living in hotel rooms. In hopes many can start getting their lives back to normal and start singing a happier tune. Kamal Karmali, Global News. Well, today is Overshoot Day, an annual reminder that we in North America live beyond what the planet can support. Experts say Canadians and Americans have already consumed our share of this year's global resources just 10 weeks into the year. That's helping propel a changing climate and leading to more weather extremes with B.C. on the vanguard of these changes. To come up with solutions, UBC's Institute for Resources, Environment and Sustainability has created CoSphere, a site where people can share ideas beyond personal decisions such as composting, walking or taking transit. And so what we are asking people to think about is to actually push towards the system change and the social change that will make it easy for other people to be sustainable. Because the reality is that even if you take all of those private actions that people have suggested, that we're still not actually in one planet living, right? We're still going to use up more than our share of the planet's resources well before the halfway mark of the year. We're only 10 weeks in at this point. Well, it looks like a popular summer event will be returning to Vancouver's Granville Strip this year. Vancouver Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says planning is underway for the second pedestrian-friendly pop-up Granville Promenade. Last summer, two blocks of Granville Street were closed to vehicle traffic from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. on weekends. The space was opened up to the public with live music, performances and public art. I think there's huge opportunity to really make Granville Street much more of a pedestrian type of promenade um, and to see this kind of activation every summer. I think that we want to become a city that rolls out the red carpet and makes it easy 
to hold events and welcomes these kinds of events. It shouldn't have to go to City Council through a motion. It should just be something that's part of our DNA in Vancouver. Kirby Young says the downtown Vancouver BIA is planning to bring the pop-up Granville Promenade back this August, provided there is support from the city. And now to a rainfall warning, just in time for those returning to work or class or traveling for spring break. We're bringing in meteorologist Yvonne Shell now with the details. So Yvonne, where and when can we expect this heavy rain? Rain starting to push in already across the island. Today was a nice break and a calm before the storm, but we're starting to see it across the island. It'll intensify for all areas across Metro Vancouver, especially overnight tonight and leading in towards the morning hours for our Monday. We can see that on the future cast, so a heads up. It'll be a soggy start out there and it'll be in waves and heavy at times through the day, also paired with windy conditions, gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour, and the rainfall warning that is in effect with higher amounts along the North Shore Mountains, extending in towards the Tri-Cities, the Fraser Valley, as well as Howe Sound, all included within that. 15 up to 80 millimeters is what we're tracking as we get in towards the evening hours for tomorrow. It's not a complete washout. I know many have spring break this week. I'll have your full five-day forecast, and we're also looking at snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes coming up very shortly. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much for that, Yvonne. Traffic roundabouts continue to proliferate in the lower mainland and as a safer way to manage traffic. That is, if they're used correctly. We got a roundabout and everyone is still freaking out. This TikTok video posted a few weeks ago has garnered more than 4 million views. It shows a roundabout in an area under construction that has been causing no end of confusion. This is in Langley in the Willoughby area near 208th Street. The circle isn't complete yet, but as you can see, more than one driver is heading the wrong way around. Roundabouts can reduce traffic speeds and decrease the severity of any crashes that might happen, but only if they're used properly. One night we were just sitting out, you know, in our in our living room, and and my fiance and I noticed some 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 traffic going the wrong way, you know, and and it was the day the roundabout went in, so I think it kind of threw some people off who've been in this area for a little bit, and so um, started to film some some cars going the wrong way just to to show family and friends back home, and we compiled so much that you know she thought you know why don't you try to throw something together, and we threw it up on TikTok and. As they say, the rest is history. Uh, No accidents, close calls though, yeah. Wrong way. More signage to try and better direct traffic has been posted, but remember, if you do come across a roundabout, always go counterclockwise. After the break, the latest on the war in Ukraine as deadly Russian missile strikes hit a Ukrainian military training base provocatively close to the Polish border. Plus, starting over for a second time, how a southern Alberta woman who helped save her family from Ukraine is now in Canada. To the war in Ukraine now, and the ground battle continued in eastern and central Ukraine with attacks from the air on the western region by Russian forces now on a daily occurrence. Overnight, missiles hit a military base close to the border with Poland, killing dozens of people. Paul Johnson has the latest. These still images show the aftermath of Russia's cruise missile strike on a military base in western Ukraine. 35 were killed and more than 100 were injured in what was the closest strike yet to a bordering NATO country. Some of the blasts could be felt across the border in Poland. The base had been a training and logistics hub for foreign soldiers, including Canadians, before the war. And since, it's been a jumping-off point for some of the foreign fighters who've traveled to Ukraine to fight the Russians. 
In recent days, an American in the area warned global news crews there that he believed Russia would soon hit that base. Near Kiev, Russian soldiers reportedly shot and killed American journalist Brent Renault. A documentary film director known for telling gripping stories about people in conflicts. His colleague, who was with him at the time and injured, explained what happened. We were we crossed one the first bridge in Nirping. We were going to film other refugees leaving and we got onto a car. Somebody offered to take us to the other bridge and we crossed a checkpoint and they start shooting at us. Um, so the driver turned around and they kept shooting. It's two of us. My friend is Brent Renault and he's been shot and left behind. And civilians and their homes continue to be hit by artillery and rockets as the Russian offensive grinds on in numerous fronts, mostly in the eastern half of the country. As the Russians encircle Kiev, Ukrainians and the world have been bracing for an anticipated major assault on the capital, with no signs of any ceasefire or diplomatic breakthrough on the horizon. Paul Johnson, Global News. The urgency to get Ukraine refugees to Canada grows with each passing day of the war. A southern Alberta woman has managed to help get members of her family to Canada. They're now having to start over after leaving everything behind. As Global's Jacqueline Cousy reports, it's not the first time this family has had to find refuge in a time of war. In July 2014, the Pustovit family, originally from Donetsk, left behind their home, jobs and comfortable lives to escape the war in Donbass. Irina says she didn't want her children to see the fighting and decided to stay in Kyiv. They began a new life from scratch. In the last year, they finally started to feel stable until Russia attacked again three weeks ago. I woke up uh, at 6 at 5 because uh, my father said that uh, Kyiv, well not Kyiv, like Borispol, uh, is bombed. They each packed a small bag and stayed for two sleepless nights in the hallway of their third floor apartment so they could quickly get to a bomb shelter. It was like really awful. On February 25th, they got in their car and left for Poland. But unfortunately, my brother and my father, they can't come with us because like martial law and uh, they are at uh, they are, like fighting age. They chose to leave their car and walk eight kilometers to go through the border faster on foot. Irina and Polina stayed in Poland for a few days, volunteering to help Ukrainians get to safety. And on March 6th, they arrived in Stavely, Alberta, into the loving arms of family. Here, uh, finally, I can say that I am safe. It's 2022. I don't know how the world can put up with watching this. Daily calls from the men back home, still fighting for their country, help keep them positive. Anna says she hopes she can get her 72-year-old mother to Canada soon. It's really nice to realize that I come from the country that people are so united and so patriotic and they can risk their lives for them and for everybody else in the world. Jacqueline Cousy, Global News. And an East Vancouver brewery is standing with Ukraine. Strange Fellows Brewing on Clark Drive hosting Drink for Ukraine today in support of those impacted by the war. Proceeds from all glasses of beer, cider and wine sold will be donated to the Canadian Red Cross, specifically to their humanitarian relief fund for Ukraine. I've seen some pins, some people wearing yellow and, and yellow and blue, which is great. 
um, you know, doing our small part, whatever we can, to, to help those people that are less fortunate right now. You know, you can see that they, they care about it and that they're happy to be here, uh, you know, just grabbing a beer or two and with family and friends and knowing that the, the money is going to go somewhere that's going to make a little bit of a difference. Coming up, leadership bid launched. The latest on the federal conservative search as Brampton's mayor, Patrick Brown, officially enters the race. And later, advice for parents trying to figure out how to talk to their kids about war. This year's race for the mayor's chair in Vancouver has its first female candidate. About 100 members of Team for a Livable Vancouver met at the Anza Club in Vancouver this afternoon to nominate Councillor Colleen Hardwick as their candidate for mayor. The party has only been around since last summer and Hardwick joined in September after leaving the nonpartisan association, with the party promising to keep a tight rein on public spending. Hardwick is the fifth person to officially join the ballot, challenging incumbent Kennedy Stewart. Vancouver has never elected a woman as mayor. We just had the International Women's Day. We talk about equity. We talk about the importance of, of having women in leadership roles. And so hopefully I'll, I'll be able to achieve that. And Election Day is on October 15th. Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown made it official today. He declared his bid in the 2022 Conservative leadership race. As Global's Brittany Rosen tells us, Brown faces a number of challenges due to the controversies that have riddled the party in recent years. I'm a fighter, I'm a leader, I'm a winner. Stand with me and stand together for a better future for Canada. Thank you so much. In front of hundreds of vocal supporters at the Queen's Manor Event Centre in Brampton, Patrick Brown officially joined the race to become leader of the Tories. I'm the only big city mayor in Canada that has frozen taxes every year I've been in office. Brown spoke about his accomplishments as Brampton's mayor, his pledge to take the party to victory, and his previous political adversities. In 2018, just months before a provincial election, the then Ontario Conservative leader resigned following a CTV article that was published citing sexual misconduct allegations against him. The new outlet has since apologized and acknowledged that a number of facts in the report were incorrect. When the media tried to make me cancel culture's latest victim by smearing me with false allegations, I fought back and won. Despite Brown's past and the other controversies that have plagued former leaders of the party in recent years, experts say his biggest task will be getting his name out beyond the province. I think the main factor is that Patrick Brown isn't known in the rest of the country. I don't even think he's that well known in Northern Ontario or Eastern Ontario. I mean, the heavyweights are Pierre Polyev and Jean Charest. Wiseman did add that serving as mayor in the GTA seat-rich city of Brampton has certainly helped, but that it may not be enough for victory. Brown's declaration comes on the heels of Peter McKay, who said Saturday night via social media he would not be taking another kick at the can. I continue to pay my campaign debt from the 2020 leadership campaign, which resulted from unforeseen circumstances. The Conservative leadership race will run until September 10th. That is when the party will find out who their next leader will be. As for the deadline for other candidates to toss their name in the hat, that deadline will be on April 19th. Brittany Rosen, Global News. Coming up, to continue or not, will this weekend mark the last time we spring our clocks forward? We hear from people and the Premier on the future of a tired tradition.
You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A Burnaby woman and COVID-19 survivor marks a major milestone. That story is after weather. But first, did most of you remember to change your clocks forward last night? Well, hopefully this will be the last time for the time change, at least here in B.C. Here's Global's Taya Fast. It is daylight saving time once again when British Columbians move their clocks ahead an hour to enjoy more sunlight in the evening. But for many of us, that also means losing an hour of sleep on Sunday morning. I have a child and he's three and one hour change just changes our whole dynamic for at least a week. Now the annual change has been subject to debate over recent years and the BC government did pass legislation in 2019 to end the change but that legislation hasn't been implemented yet. I had hoped this was the last time three years ago when we passed legislation but at the time when we talked to British Columbians we heard loud and clear not just from the business community but from British Columbians that it made sense to be in line uh, or aligned rather with our southern neighbors in Washington, Oregon and California. Global News asked residents what their thoughts are on the time change. I don't know why Oregon can't just do it. Forget about California and Oregon and Washington. We can do it ourselves. I love it. Longer days, longer at night. Why wouldn't you want it? It is statistically proven that with there's more car accidents and stuff like that. So I don't think it's necessary moving forward at this point. If BC stays with permanent daylight saving time, the entire province would be on the same time zone. I'd like to see one standard time zone for all of the West Coast. I think it would just make things easier. So will this be the last time British Columbians spring forward? Oregon and Washington have passed legislation, but they require congressional approval in Washington, D.C., to uh, suspend the, the changing of clocks uh, twice a year. Uh, it, the good news is that Senator Patty Murray from Washington is now co-sponsoring a bill. We're hopeful that it will pass this year, and this may well be the last time that we spring forward. TFS Global News, Penticton. Although we have heard that before, hopefully this time will really be mm -hmm. it as we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the full forecast. And there are some warnings to be aware of, Yvonne. Yeah, rainfall warning that is in effect. But as we take a look at the tower cam, a sunset this evening will just be after 7 o'clock. We do have that cloud cover rain starting to push in for a few spots across the island. And it is going to pick up for all areas across Metro Vancouver and really intensify as we get an overnight and a look ahead towards our Monday. Temperatures right now sitting at 10. We've got a southeasterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. There's the moisture that it's already starting to work its way across the island. We're seeing it along the Sunshine Coast, and it'll pick up across Metro Vancouver for this evening. Overnight tonight, temperatures will be down to 6 degrees. We'll have that rainfall heavy at times through the day tomorrow. A heads up, it is going to be breezy as well. We'll have gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour, and temperatures getting closer to 9 as a daytime high. Most of the moisture along the south coast will be falling as rain, but we do have the snow level sitting into the interior anywhere between 1,200 or 1,500, and then dropping and lowering towards the evening hours back down to 1200 for tomorrow and we are looking at that snowfall for higher elevations 50 and up to 80 millimeters there'll be higher amounts along the north shore mountains extending into the tri-cities the fraser valley as well as house sound and anticipate that rainfall to be heavy at times as we even get in towards the evening hours before it lets up slightly for our tuesday now the mountain passes check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions snowfall this evening we could see a bit of a transition through the morning hours and then back into snow towards the evening the connector with lesser 
amounts and then higher amounts along the Rogers Pass and Kootenai Pass with up to upwards of 10 centimeters and potentially closer to 20 as well. Along the north coast, it'll be wet and windy gusts tomorrow, especially for the early morning hours along the north coast, up to 60 kilometers per hour. A drier start for the central interior and then the chance for some showers and rain pushing in towards the evening. And it'll be similar for many areas into the southern interior near the valley bottoms. We'll see that wave of rain moving in by tomorrow night. The southeastern corners of the province for the early morning hours could still see some wet snowfall changing over to rain. Wet snowfall potentially for areas near Whistler as well and then changing over to rain. It'll be a wet and windy start. Many do have spring break but it's not a complete washout but we will see very windy conditions through the day tomorrow. Gusts of up to 40 and then so far on our Wednesday Nithu we could see a nice break in between systems but be prepared. It'll be mild and we'll have rainfall over the next few days. Got it. Thanks so much Yvonne. Well, a COVID-19 survivor we profiled one year ago marked a milestone this afternoon. Burnaby's Helen Brown turned 100 today, and to mark the occasion, she got her birthday song performed by both members of the Burnaby RCMP and the fire department. She lives in a nearby long-term care home where she's made it through the isolation of the pandemic and even had a mild case of COVID-19 herself. If you're wondering what her secret to longevity is, well, her daughter said it's pretty simple. She's like really healthy. Like I always attribute it to not drinking, not smoking, and never learning to drive. You guys didn't put that in last year. <laughs> Incredible. Great. Happy birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday indeed. All right, Barry's here for a preview of what is coming up and quite the NFL comeback. Yeah, I was going to say, Tom Brady's not quite 100, but maybe yeah. he'll play until then. Uh, <laughs> big splashy retirement announcement uh, six weeks ago. Well, forget about it. He's changed his mind. Uh, so Tom Brady's coming back. Kind of the big news that just sprung a couple hours ago. So Brady's back. We'll talk about that. And a lot of excitement for uh, Canuck fans going to the game tonight. Tampa Bay Lightning, the two-time champs are in town. And that would be a big win for the Canucks. So we'll preview that as well. All right, everyone's entitled to a mind change. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that, Barry. Also ahead on the news hour, managing misconceptions for kids. Check in with your kids to see what they do know and what what their understanding of what's happening is. Ahead, advice for parents. Experts offer tips on talking with their children about war. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. With so much devastation in Ukraine, the war can be a difficult topic to address with children. Global's Sarah Ryan spoke to an expert who shares some advice. For the Solomons, the war in Ukraine hits close to home. They did missionary work there for five years. Their youngest child lived there longer than here. She wakes up every morning and she goes, are our friends still alive? And I never thought I'd have to deal with that as a parent. Although a bit older, their sons have concerns too. Our 12-year-old, he has big questions. He wants to know why humanity uh, is kind of acting this way. Uh, what is the purpose of it? Registered psychologist Dr. Brent McDonald says war is a challenging thing for anyone, let alone children, to understand. What I really encourage parents to do is, is, first of all, check in with your kids to see what they do know and what their, what their understanding of what's happening is, because there's probably going to be a lot of misconceptions. He says kids need to feel safe. He suggests using a map to show where Russia, Ukraine and Canada are in relation to one another. But pretending this war isn't happening is counterproductive. 
ignoring what's happening around us is, I would argue, in, in pretty much any situation, not effective, particularly for kids, because that becomes a habit. Children are still hearing about what's going on, be it online or in school. Certainly, this is being talked about in our classrooms, and it's being talked about in a way that is respectful, certainly, and is in keeping in mind that this, this could, could be trauma-inducing for some of our students. McDonald encourages focusing on positives, like humanitarian efforts. It doesn't mean we have to be into the, the, the gory details of, of everything, but we can give them the information that they, that they want to see, that they want to hear at their level. The Solomons are just trying to do their best. Talking with them, it's been very difficult. Um, we try to be realistic, but we also try to help them to understand what uh, is going on. Sarah Ryan, Global News. Barry's back with a full sports cast after this break. Also ahead, a local secret. Eyes just kind of go wet. We have, what do you mean, local maple syrup? How a hobby turned into a production passion continues to surprise people right across BC. Help feed hungry kids in our community. Support hashtag Toonies for Tummies, an initiative benefiting student nutrition programs for kids in our community. Donate today at your local participating grocery store or online at grocerystore.com. Surrey Hospitals Foundation needs your help to renew 10 integrated operating rooms at Surrey Memorial Hospital, the busiest surgical site in the Fraser Health region with over 60% of surgeries related to cancer. Learn more and donate at surreyhospitalsfoundation.com. For our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back for the full sports cast, and apparently retirement isn't all it's chalked up to be, hey? No, usually we're used to hearing this from boxers who yeah. retire Monday and then come back uh, Friday and do it many times, but football players, not as much. All right, thanks, Neithu. Uh, well, that didn't last long after announcing his retirement six weeks ago. Tom Brady has just unretired. He uh, just announced it on his Twitter account a couple hours ago. He is coming back for a 23rd NFL season, the greatest of all time. Brady turns 45 this August and obviously feels he still has at least another good season in him. The Canucks continue their crucial seven-game homestand tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So far, Canucks have three out of a possible four points. Still 23 games to go. Canucks likely need to win 15 of them to sneak into the playoffs. Friday against Washington, Canucks spotted the Caps a 2-0 lead before rallying in the third. But they may not want to press their luck with another poor start. The Lightning are in a foul mood after losing their third straight last night in Edmonton. But it is a concern because I've been on many teams where uh, they sort of put their dip their foot in the water and see how the game is going before they they, they do it. And we, as uh, fans, as as people that watch the game, are going, "Why the hell don't they start better?" And like, I mean, it's a we would love to know the answer. Uh, but again, I just reiterated it today, and it's something that you have to remind the guys. It unfortunately, uh, every team. Uh, almost on a daily basis that uh, let's be ready at the drop of the first puck. I was trying to think the last time they've lost four in a row and I don't know if it's been in John Cooper's uh, uh, since he's been here. Um, so uh, the wounded beast is is 
there's still the Tampa Bay Lightning. There's still two times Stanley Cup champions. The day you start taking that team lightly is the day you're in trouble. NHL tonight, Vegas Golden Knights at Columbus. Vegas struggling has lost six of their last nine. Canucks just three points behind them with the game in hand. Vegas had a 2-1 lead but couldn't hold it. Oliver Bjorkstrand scores to make it 3-2 Jackets after one. It gets worse for the Golden Knights. Cole Sillinger, who is the son of former Canuck Mike Sillinger, gets his third of the night. That's his first NHL hat trick, and the Jackets win 6-4. Vegas has now lost four straight. That's great news for the Canucks. Flames have had a very busy week. Fifth game in seven days, 3-1 and one in the first four, taking on conference-leading Colorado, playing on a back-to-back. Flames were home to Detroit last night, now playing at altitude in Denver. The only goal so far, Nathan McKinnon, 1-0 Colorado after two. Final NHL stop, Hamilton, Ontario, Sabres and Leafs, outdoors for the Heritage Classic. Austin Matthews can score no matter where he plays. Toronto, NHL buildings outside. That's his 45th. Leads the NHL. 2-1 Leafs. But the Sabres come back. They tie it and then get the game winner from Vinny Hinestroza, who is almost behind the net. Beats Peter Morazic. Another terrible goal for Leaf goaltenders. 5-2 Buffalo wins. The Leafs have given up 39 goals in their past eight games. Goaltending continues to be a major issue in Toronto. AHL just uh, still going on in Abbotsford, Colorado, and Abbotsford tied at four. They are in overtime. Tennis from Indian Wells, Canada's Felix Ojealiasim playing his opening match of the tournament against Botik van de Zanschulp of the Netherlands. Every tennis name, it seems, is quite the mouthful. Felix lost the uh, first set in a tiebreak, faced three match points in the second, fought them all off. Great winner here to force a second set tiebreak. And in the tiebreak, Felix hammers the ace to force a third and deciding set. Unfortunately, Felix could not complete the comeback. Van de Zanschulp on match point with a great volley for the win. And he will win at 6-3 in the third. So Felix Ojealiasim is out at Indian Wells. Shapovalov is still in on the men's side, as is Leila Fernandez on the women's. Sunday at the Players' Championship completed the second round in the morning. Got about half the third round in today before darkness set in. Much better conditions today. Cool, but the wind down. Shane Lowry, the jolly Irishman, the champion golfer of the year, on the tee at the Fame 17th. Check this out. Spins it back for the hole-in-one, and Lowry is all pumped up. Now he will, in celebration, throw the ball into the gallery. Now the guy who got it is smart. He raced all the way down to the ropes, and he got Shane Lowry to sign the golf ball. That's a pretty good souvenir to have. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin, also at 17, and he is all over the flagstick. Could it be two aces inside a half hour? Could it? Could it? Oh, just misses Hadwin that close to a moment he will never forget. I'm sure he won't forget that one either. Then he steps up, converts the six-footer for birdie. He's minus one through 12, tied 45th. Corey Connors, Taylor Pendrith, both at four under, tied 18th. India's Anurban Lahiri is the surprise leader, ranked in the mid-300s. Makes the birdie at nine. He's at nine under, a one-shot lead, but still a long way to go. They'll complete round three and all of round four Monday at the Players. Well, encouraging scenes for soccer fans. Alfonso Davies is running again. The FC Bayern and Canada star is back on the training ground for the first time in two months after battling myocarditis, which followed his bout with COVID. 
Byron very excited to see Davies back that they shared this short video on their socials. He's still expected to be out two to four weeks. Unlikely Davies will play for Canada in the final World Cup qualifier two weeks from now. All right, let's check out uh, English Premiership Sunday. Third place Chelsea hosting Newcastle. Nothing doing until the 89th, but this was worth the wait. Jorginho, perfect ball for Kai Havertz, who shows some quality there. 1-0 Chelsea the final. They remain third place, seven points behind second place Liverpool. And Arsenal looking to jump ahead of Manchester United for fourth, hosting Leicester City. 11th minute from the corner, Thomas Partey will head that one home. 1-0 Gunners and second half penalty awarded to Arsenal. Alex Lacazette with the little stutter move there beats Casper Schmeichel. Arsenal take it 2-0 now a point up on Man United and three games in hand. Briar final from Lethbridge. Calgary's Kevin Cooey against Newfoundland's Brad Gushu. Cooey's won four Briars. Gushu's won one, two of Canada's best teams ever. Team Gushu, though, down a player the last couple of days. Third, Mark Nichols out with COVID. So they're playing with three guys, but it hasn't affected them. Gushu with an open drop for three here is money. 3-2 at that point, and it's 3-2 now in the fifth. Final day of the Paralympics in Beijing. Canada's mixed cross-country relay team skied to a bronze medal. Emily Young of North Vancouver and Natalie Wilkie of Salmon Arm were a part of the team to help Canada get to 25 medals at these games. It's the second most in its history behind the 28 in Pyeongchang in 2018. And the sledge hockey team had a silver on the final day after falling 5-0 to the Americans in the gold medal game. Last night, boys basketball provincials from Langley, the 3A championship, Elgin Park out of Surrey against St. Patrick out of East Van, Elgin Park in black. Cole McDonald with the nice dish inside to Cyrus Harrison, who puts it in. Tight ball game late for St. Patrick Celtics. Uh, turn it up a notch, go inside to their big man, Diljot Sunner, who lays it in. And then Irish Coquillo with a beautiful drive and layup seals the deal. And the Celtics of St. Patrick are the BC3A champs, 56-52 over Elgin Park. And the 4A final between Semiamu and Burnaby South. Rebels of Burnaby South in white. Jimmy Zaborniak's been all over the highlights this week. Nice drive, goes to the left hand. Semiamu trying to keep it close in the fourth. Some nice ball movement here, finished uh, by Marcus Flores there. But this was a Rebels night. Lex Paloma will hit the deep three, and Burnaby South Rebels win the 4A title, 72-57. Also, congrats to Westside, who won the 2A, and Unity Christian took the 1A title. Lots of enthusiasm from the kids, so it's great to see. Great to see that celebration. All right, thanks for that, Barry. Coming up, the magic of maple syrup and what it takes to make the so-called liquid gold right here in BC. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the hub. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now.
Well, we know Quebec's maple syrup industry is recognized around the world, but a small number of producers here on the West Coast have also been tapping into the so-called liquid gold. And as Jay Durant reports in tonight's This is BC, most don't seem to mind if they remain a local secret. What began as a hobby for Glenn Jansen has turned into a small side business with the emphasis on small. It's not something you do to make a living. It's too much work. 20 years ago, he started with a two-foot pan held over an open fire. In 2017, he got an evaporator, and now he can make enough maple syrup to share and sell to others. And as soon as we say local, eyes just kind of go, what? We have, what do you mean, local maple syrup? The Jansons have been tapping up to 300 trees a year on their property. Learning the trade from a master forester who's taught several people on the east coast of Vancouver Island over the years. Building up a little rivalry with the powerhouse maple syrup producers out east. I think it's a matter of saying nan 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 to the eastern people. Like people ask me, is it what's is it better than eastern syrup? I say, of course it is. Quebec's great Canadian maple syrup heist a decade ago saw thieves make off with $18 million of product. Unusual. Fortunately, the Jansons have had only one theft this entire time. A uh, bear had come in the night and and I guess Yogi got a hold of the sap and, and made his own drink. Some of the neighbours come around to help out. I could almost charge them because they have so much fun riding around on the ATVs, they don't realise they're working. There are still many more trees waiting to be tapped in their backyard. There is the talk of expansion. Sometimes I just feel like it's grown too much for us to handle. And we want our son to be involved, but he's got a life too, so... <laughs> so for now, it stays a local secret, tucked away in a tiny forest in Black Creek, B.C. Bingo, buddy. Another new stick. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. <laughs> well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Could go for some pancakes. Yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, <laughs> pancakes. Exactly. Yeah. A, a great dinner yes. choice. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Yvonne, one final check on the forecast before we let our viewers. Uh, rainfall warning in effect. A Metro Vancouver extending into the Fraser Valley and Howe Sound. Higher amounts along the North Shore Mountains. We're looking at 50 and 80 millimeters by tomorrow night and still quite soggy uh, for the first few days. Those who have spring break, a dry day so far will be on Wednesday. All right, we'll brace for a rainy night tonight. Thanks so much for that. Thank you so much for sharing some of your weekend with us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night.